Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another broadcast of Real Talk All the Time Here on Real Talk Radio 17 With your hosts, myself, H.J. Morgan, Rob Hall, D.S. Rivers, and Hadaria Uh, Tonight's segment will be about mass incarceration What I like to call uh, the crime of mass incarceration It should be called the crime What's happening uh, in that genre Um, The call-in for tonight, everyone, is 347-637-3010 That's 347-637-3010 And uh, we have some very special guests uh, with us this evening Um, We have uh, Miss Carolyn Esparza uh, with us tonight Uh, She wrote a book called The Unvarnished Truth About the Prison Family Journey And uh, we welcome her to the show tonight uh, Thank you. And uh, I'm actually bringing in right now as we speak. I'm going to bring in uh, two eight two eight. You're live and right on cue. I'm bringing in uh, Miss Michelle Bailey Hicks onto the show, who will discuss mass incarceration with us and uh, talk to us tonight. And also uh, coming on right now is also her husband. Uh, welcome everybody to the show tonight. Welcome to Real Talk. Uh, all the time, and uh, again, tonight's topic is mass incarceration. How is everybody tonight, by the way? Great. Doing good. Doing good. All right. Doing well. Good. Doing well, good. Doing good. good. Um, I'd like to begin by just stating that, uh, you know, it's often said that, you know, the, the United States is the leader in this or the greatest that, the greatest country. We are leading. We're leading in uh, incarcerating people. Uh, we're the... We're the mm-hmm biggest country, we're leading in how many people we put behind bars, and uh, that in itself is a, is a shame, um, and it's costing us, there's a cost for mass incarceration, there's a cost of finances, there's a social cost, there's a moral cost. Uh, now, I'm not going to be uh, naive and say there's not people in this country that need to be uh, corrected or, 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 if you will, put behind bars. But uh, I, I know a lot of us probably know, I know I do, know some people that <clears throat> don't need to be behind bars or couldn't afford a, an attorney. Or, or and, and, and basically, for lack of a better term, we got shafted. Um, but there are a lot of things going on here. There's a lot of factors that go into incarceration. And a lot of it, and sometimes... Uh, it has nothing to do with justice, and uh, we're going to try to dig into some of that. But as I always like to do, everybody, I like to jump into some some numbers. I was doing some research, uh, getting prepared for this show, and uh, there was some research that the uh, Vera Society that deals with uh, uh, 
justice uh, numbers when it comes to uh, uh, incarcerations and how justice is, is done in the country. And uh, something very, very interesting that I, that I came across, and I'd like to read that before we get into the show. Um, Vera Research has found that the total taxpayer cost of prisons, and they did a study in 40 states, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that participated in this study, was about 13.9% higher than the cost reflected in those states' combined uh, correction budgets. Okay? The total price to the taxpayer in these uh, states was $39 billion, okay? $5.4 billion more than the 35 point, sorry, the $33.5 billion reflected in corrections budgets alone, okay? Um, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And, and today, you know, of course, we're all concerned with the budget and the, the lack of money. We're, we're howling broke. You know, the country's screaming broke. Private companies, everybody's screaming broke, okay? Not to mention that these numbers are also uh, not the total picture for a state's financial obligation. So herein lies the uh, financial cost to our nation. And we're going to get into that, and we're going to get into the moral uh, and ethical and uh, social cost and the cost that, it, that causes families of people who are sometimes wrongfully jailed or wrongfully imprisoned. Um, Diaz, welcome. Hey, how you doing, brothers? All right. How about Glad you? to have you well. here. Um, we're going to pass it around the, the panel first and just get, uh, as always, our initial thoughts on mass incarceration. I just want to say this. Um, you know, we're spending money on putting people in jail, but we're not building schools, okay? We're not uh, we're not building new schools. We're not doing, we're not putting money into after-school programs. In fact, we're cutting those off completely. And mm-hmm. But we're building more prisons, and I think that says something, okay? Mass incarceration is at best a illustration of a perverted government policy. Okay, and, and to me, and this is my opinion, it's a failed policy that is adding in, in, to an already heaping deficit. Okay, and we're not out of the woods uh, financially in, a, in this economy. So um, just looking at it from that aspect, I'd like to pass it around to Rome. I'll pass it to Rob Hall. Uh, what is your thoughts on, on, on mass incarceration uh, initially here and, and, and what it's doing as far as uh, financially to our country here? The biggest thing I could say is this, you know, and especially being on the side of from the law enforcement field. Unfortunately, like anything else, and I'll say this, when you take our country and you look at other countries per se and how they deal with uh, crimes and things of that particular nature, it's all they get a different aspect. When I was in the Navy per se, we had uh, what they call port briefs, and they would tell us that if you did this, you'll be punished by that. And here in the state, things are considered to be cruel and unusual. I'll use uh, Singapore as a, you know, a topic. Um, in the in Singapore, there's certain laws that they have, and they tell us point blank that, hey, look, these are the punishments if you do this particular crime, and they just pretty much don't play that. They they just have no tolerance for nonsense. So with that being said and how money is being um, used here with the prison system, it's just unfortunate. And now to punish a person 
for a crime that's considered a misdemeanor and you give them the maximum of what a felony would be considered, totally wrong. Right, right. Uh, DS, I know you just jumped in. Did you, do you want to chime in now? You want to pass it to Hadaria first? Or? I'll pass it to Hadaria first. Okay, Hadaria, what do you think? Uh, I mean, and just to say something else, Hadaria, I mean, you know, we should be investing money in schools and social programs that prevent crime, okay, and more than in prisons. And, that's again, this is my opinion. Uh, in particular, we should be focusing and doing what we can to keep families together and not breaking them apart, which adds to kids, you know, or, 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 or young adults going wayward and maybe maybe turning to a life of crime, you know. But let me let me get your thoughts, initial thoughts on mass incarceration, Hadaria. What, what, what are your thoughts? Um, I just took a look again at um, the, the statement or the the advice um, that Eric Holt released out and to the media, and it's been featured in the Guardian and other newspapers, um, the Daily News, the New York Times, the Journal, and so forth. And he talked about how so much of this is driven by um, drug-related offenses, and he's got a number of different ideas. I think he's doing something great in actually giving advice to prosecutors um, to kind of find a better ground and sort of deterrence, but this mass incarceration, as you pointed out, is expensive, and it's not sustainable. And I think the real, you know, the real thing to look at is us. It's important to look at us and our values. Why? I mean, you know, everybody talks about, well, why don't we invest in X or Y or Z? Why don't we invest in after-school programs? Why don't we invest in more schools? Um, Why don't we? Why aren't we actually fighting over these budget issues? So we'll fight over and we'll get ourselves to a general election, to like the presidential mm-hmm. election. But who actually fights over your state assemblymen or, or really your congressional elections and the budget priorities that they put out there? When do we actually get loud about that? And we right, really right. don't. That's right. We don't. We don't. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, one, another contributing factor, uh, we talked about this a couple of shows ago, uh, the war on drugs, right? And incarceration for nonviolent uh, drug offenses. Uh, a lot of people believe that this is these are ways that were put into place to limit the gains of the civil rights movement. I mean, that's, that's a whole other conversation, but, you know, I'm trying to look at that and say, hmm, you know, is, is mass incarceration in, in some sense the, the new Jim Crow? You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, this is why we're asking questions. Uh, DS, your thoughts, mass, mass incarceration. I mean, yeah, you know. It's, it's, it's funny you say that. I um, am doing some homework for this show. I haven't gotten to read it yet, but there's a book uh, actually called The New Jim Crow uh, by Michelle Alexander that I've picked up. And um, I, it, it is absolutely, in, in my mind, in, in some sense, The New Jim Crow. I mean, there's an article that I read and says that as we stand right now, uh, the best estimates about in the, the best estimates are about 2.7 million children under the age of 18 with a parent in prison or jail. That, that's ridiculous. Right. That's ridiculous. Right. And, 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 right. and most of these parents and most of these people are in jail for nonviolent crimes. So exactly. It's not you know it's not that we're we're not fixing the problem. We're we're perpetuating you know the cycle. And right. not, I mean, for for a person uh, to to get I don't know what two years of jail time for you know for nonsense basically 
where right. know, we got it, 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 it's a lot of things that I can go in, in the different directions. Um, my biggest thing is it seems that we we spend more money uh, giving these people that are already incarcerated three hots in a cot than we do on after school programs. And That's to right. me, that 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 that's a little backwards. Absolutely. And if there were more after-school programs, there would probably be less people in jail. Um, again, you know, the, the cost, and I don't mean all the time financial cost. There is a financial cost, but there's a financial cost. There's a moral cost. There is a, a, a social and ethical cost. Um, uh, our guest tonight, uh, just on that alone, uh Mrs. Esparza, would you like to just, your initial thoughts on, on mass incarceration, would you like to chime in before I uh, give it uh, to Michelle? Sure. Uh, my my major focus is on families. Uh, I've worked with, with families as a counselor, and, of course, I have a family. Uh, and right. The fact is that uh, someone mentioned that 2.7 million children that have been affected by this, uh, even worse than that is that the vast majority of those children will end up in prison. And, excuse me, it's not because they have been poorly raised. It is because of the trauma that they experience as a result of a loved one being incarcerated. Uh, And many people don't understand it. Uh, The the family is stigmatized and stereotyped, and uh, and the children are the brunt of that. So there's a, a lot of fuel coming behind the people that are currently in prison whether they're they're wrongly or rightly, so um, as I said, uh, this is affecting families by the thousands, millions, actually millions of, of families are being affected by this. So uh, that is that is of great concern to me, and uh, the the money is is also of great concern because it's so wasteful. Think of what we could do with that thirty three billion dollars that you mentioned. Uh, right. It would be much more effective if we were putting it into treatment, uh, mental health care for the families and, and the people that are right. incarcerated, substance abuse right. treatment. So we're misusing the funds, and those right. are our tax exactly. dollars. Exactly. And not to mention, uh, Mrs. Esparza, that, that that was only 40 states that participated in that. And, again, this is a fraction of what, you know, this is this is only the cor- on the corrections side of the house. The state still has other financial obligations. So you can imagine that's just the, from the from the prison side of the house. The money that's right. being, you know, that is being spent. Um I I like at this time to uh bring into the conversation uh Michelle uh Billy Hicks. Um you know, just initially here, what are your what is your initial thoughts when you hear the word mass incarceration? Uh what comes to mind for you? The first thing that comes to my mind is modern day slavery. Okay. That's that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Another thing that comes to my mind is uh racial disparity. Uh the racial disparities are tremendous. Um, I I can't speak for every state and county and that sort of thing, but in the county I live in, just here in the county that I live in, I believe there's 5% African Americans, 
And there's 53% of those African Americans incarcerated in the state of Wisconsin. Wow. Wow. That's a problem. Wow. It is a problem, right? You know, that's a problem. And when you speak of Michelle Alexander, um, I miss, she she comes here quite frequently and uh, does does talks at the University of Wisconsin. And um, her book is a tremendous book. And, uh, you know, I guess those, the, the new Jim Crow, modern-day slavery, I guess those are the f- the first few things when I think of it. Those are the f- first few thoughts that come to my mind. And then some of the other things that you've all mentioned, you know, the cost. Um, f- for, for an inmate in Wisconsin, that's $30,000 a year. Um I know my husband and I spoke, um, I don't remember the name of the bill, it was a couple years ago, but we spoke, um, to to have that cost cut in half to start giving, like, treatment diversions, like, you you know, you're just kind of talking about spending money more on, on treatment, drug and alcohol, mental health, things that you know, people are getting put into prison for, they have these problems, they come out no better. Right. Um, So they're just being incarcerated, uh, they're just being held in there, um, and they're not getting the actual treatment that they need. They They come out, and then the recidivism rate continues to grow when these people are not being treated correctly. Um, Right. So, and and I'm no professional here by any means, you know, I've just lived some of this. Right. Um, Well, that's the best teacher experience. It's always the best teacher. Um, I think what you're saying so far is is so profound, uh, and people need to hear this. Um, It's amazing that where you're at, the the percentage of African Americans and the percentage of of them that are are incarcerated, I, I find that number... Amazing, and you know, I said something. I, I, yeah. I, I think it's a. I think it's amazing, and I think it's it's an outrage. Um, and I, I posted. I don't know if some people, some of my friends may have caught. I posted something that Benjamin Franklin had said on my Facebook page, and it was something to the effect of that when everybody gets outraged, then it's time for action. You can't. You know, one group of people that's being mistreated can't be the ones that are outraged. Everybody has to be outraged. Everybody you know, does. And I've been saying that for a long time. And the attitude, even right now when it comes to certain topics, is, well, it's not affecting me. Well, it's not affecting me. But then these right. same people, when it finally does affect them, wants everybody in the world to come out and, uh, and you know, and, and to help them or to say something or to stand up for them. And by that time, it's right. too late. It's right. too late. You know, and, so, and, I mean... You know, when you mentioned when you mentioned education, there was just something that I posted not too long ago about the state of Pennsylvania uh, shutting down hmm, a dozen or so of schools. Uh-huh. They're shutting them down um, in Philadelphia. I think it was in Philadelphia, um, and they're spending four hundred million on new prisons. So they're shutting okay. down 
there was a huge article on it. They're shutting down the the education. I wish I could find it and quote some of it to you. I'm looking for it now. I, th- I think that's yeah, pretty done. accurate, okay. though, Michelle. It's, I think it may have been two dozen schools in, uh, yeah, yeah. in an extraordinary amount of money that they're going to be building new prisons with that uh, the right. big savings on the education, which says right. something about how they uh, they really care about children and our future. <laughs> uh, you know, education is our future. Terrible. And it's I wanted to add terrible. something to the statistics that Michelle had given for her state, is that nationally, uh, I believe the statistics are that, that blacks make up 12% of our total population, and they make up almost 75% of our prison population. I would say that's right. true. Yeah, right. and and it's right. pretty uh, pretty extraordinary that uh, you know. And Michelle Alexander's book, of course, addresses those issues. And and, uh, and and why are we doing that? Why are we back in the 1950s, which is actually when I grew up in the right. 1950s yeah. with Martin Luther King? Uh, we've gone backwards instead yeah. of progressing with what he tried so hard to. Instill in us. It's a, it's I, I, don't a I don't understand it. And I, I'd like to ask the group a question here. As I'm sitting here and I'm pondering all this, and we're compiling the numbers and we're and we're trading uh, experiences and, and, and information that we've all picked up on, is that one thing seems to be a, a, a the common denominator is education. Now, 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 listen to this. Um, Recently, and I think me, uh, Michelle, you and I spoke about this offline. And actually, a uh, a rapper had this. One of my favorite rappers, Most Def, had this verse in his song, and he said that, you know, the prisons are built, uh, or they're built upon how many people they're going to have, and they and they base that number off of fourth grade reading scores. That's right. So mm-hmm. if you if you if you if you're taking away from schools and education. Yet you're building prisons. To me, this is not an accident. It's not. You and they know what you're doing. And 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 I and and are we insane? Do we not give a damn? What is the problem? well? The people and that are doing what? that are not insane. They're making a billions of dollars off of this. It's it's right. all economics. Oh and, my God. And, it's, and they're building prisons based on on third or fourth grade reading scores, projecting. That these kids are going to prison, well, right. they're also deteriorating the quality of uh, education. Right. The quality of our, of our education is is that you know everything's dumbed down at this point. Oh my goodness! Uh, they're writing to the ninth grade reading level, and that's even going down. Right. Um, well, um, go ahead. Just 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 the caveat on what you're saying. Uh, this is as far as uh, math. Math is something that we we first of all, uh, our math scores are horrible. Uh, in fact, that for, for many years now, the Japanese have been whipping out behind in math scores, but Europe mm-hmm. as a whole has been whipping out behind in math scores to the to the to the point that the United States outsources uh, engineer projects to European students because they're big into engineering in Europe. And those students are big into, into math, and they, and they take you know engineering courses. And so you have mm-hmm. uh, European uh, graduate students that come right over here and land a big time, six-figure engineering job because our 
our youth uh, and our graduates can't compete with them because of the math score. Right. So reading and math, which are the mm-hmm. basics of any education, we, we can't seem to cut it, but we're so great. And, and and that's the that's the parody of the whole dang on thing right there. But it goes back to um, what you said. Is that intentional? Exactly. Is, is, um, well, it, as we're investing more money in our prisons, because we haven't talked yet about privatization of prisons, and right. we're moving uh, they. I have to say they, whoever they are, and a lot of them are legislators and and people that are pretty high up, uh, certainly in the business world, are investing. You have Wall Street. Uh, investors right there in New York who invested millions of dollars in private prisons. And uh, and in order to to grow those prisons, as you probably know, business has to have uh, have has to grow over time. Right. And uh, and and the only way to make money is to have more and more prisons and more and more prisoners right. in those prisons. Mm-hmm. And so we can dumb down mm-hmm. the education and create more prisoners in the future. Right. So I think right. it is intentional I, that you brought that up. Right. I, I think so, too. And I think this is something that didn't happen overnight. Um, you know, just to go back, and I'm going to go way back, I remember uh, when I was a kid hearing one of Richard Pryor's old stand-ups. He did this around this time. He, they were making stir crazy. And they uh-huh. made that out in Arizona. And he said that he marveled that, you know, at the time there weren't that many African-Americans that lived in Arizona but the whole prisons were full of Af- in Arizona were full of, of African Americans, so that started way back when, with the privatized privatization of, of of jails and stuff like that, you know. And 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 it, it, I just find it amazing. This didn't, you know, again, this didn't happen overnight. This is this is something that has gone on right. for a long time, and you know, now it's almost kind of uh, blatant. It's kind of almost in your mm-hmm. face. And again, we continue to chop education and the things that matter, the thing that things that keep children out of trouble and keep children from getting in, into these situations where they might be, uh, you know, approached by police and possibly incarcerated. And and, and you know, we just continue to build more prisons because we know what's going to happen. If you take away this, then you got to have that. Everything's cause and effect. Mm-hmm. So they know damn good and well. As we say, they, the powers that be, mm-hmm. know damn good and well what's happening. And, I, and why haven't we, as a nation, shouted out a thunderous uh, 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 outrage at this? Is beyond me. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I, I would like to just interrupt and say that I think the media has a lot to do with why we're not shouting out as a nation. Yeah. I. I think a lot of people follow the media, and whatever the media says, the communities go with. And, you know, that's why I post so much on my Facebook page. I'm sure that more than half the people that see all these postings on my page are like, what what, what the hell is Michelle on? <laughs> but the thing is, is if I can start getting at least one person to take a look at some of this stuff and educating people. We've got to learn to educate our communities because if we don't educate our communities as a nation, we're never going to come together. Right. And I think you're absolutely we're right. Not, we have to develop we're awareness. We're never going to come together. And right. it, I know, think actually uh, the reason, uh, well, I, I agree with Michelle about the media and, you know, we do follow the media and, and whatever they say. And we need media support uh, about this mass incarceration problem, obviously. Uh, 
so we have to go out and educate people and develop awareness because of the stigma attached to incarceration. People have turned a blind eye. They look the other way. They don't want to deal with the ugliness of it. And so they've just totally dis- discounted it. They don't even know it's there for the most part. And, until in, what, in the quote that you, you had given before, the Ben Franklin quote, uh, that yes. said, until you're touched, and I don't m- remember exactly the words, but essentially until you're affected by it, you don't care. And it's right. only those people that have been touched by it in some way in their personal lives that they finally speak out. And even those right. people are scared to speak out. And so there's fear involved in this, in, in speaking wow. out publicly like wow. this. Uh, the retaliation that prisoners experience when a family calls the warden and says what's going on. For example, here in Texas, we're without water in our prisons. It's a, a really nice thing. Uh, in the summer, they have no water, uh, and we have triple-digit heat. And people wow. are actually afraid to call the prisons and to call the media to let them know that people don't go to prison to be killed uh, by, right. by starvation and, and uh, thirst. They go right. there, to, you know, supposedly prisons were to be penitent, to think about what you had done and you're, you're going to improve your life. Well, you can't do that when you're dehydrated and you're in 132 degrees in the cell areas. And then families being afraid to, uh, to, to say, to speak out about it because they know that the prisoner is going to be retaliated against, as are wow. family members, too. So. Wow. Uh, so there's fear in speaking out, and we have to address that. I think it, you know, as we talk about prisons and and uh, the the other thing besides privatization is that there is no oversight of our prison system. We right. have a, of our entire criminal justice system. Are you aware that judges have no in, in, uh, independent oversight? They are self-regulated. Everything is self-regulated throughout the wow. entire criminal justice system. And so there's nowhere to go to really report these things. I go, well, I for would, example, to a state representative with some of the issues that you know, that people like the no water, et cetera. And even even my state representative has really no authority over the prison system. They don't give her information that she has requested. Uh, but she is also part of the system because she's a state employee. She is right. paid by the state. And as long as we have uh, self-regulation and no accountability, they get away with whatever they want to get away with. Mm-hmm. Right. I, wow. I think, I think like anything else, most bureaus of prisons, I mean, it, it really comes down to the fact that these, that those folks who are charged with the administration are members of the executive staff. They are members of the governor's office or members of the cabinet. Right. And so forth. And that, that really means that they're not elected, though they may, there may be some legislative oversight, if they're not elected, they're accountable to the executive in power, the governor or the president and so forth. And that's really one of the issues. That person who tends to run for office is going to want to be seen as tough on crime and hence as tough on prisoners. I think the one of the things that was mentioned, educating and, and sort of and raising awareness, I think that it's it's something more subtle than that. I think what you really need to look at is reframing this argument because if you start talking to the average person about prisoners and the conditions of prisons, they're you know you'll you'll get their wrath, you'll get their so what, they deserve it, you know, 
and, mm-hmm. and, so, and this is what happened to me. Because, and that's part of what, you know, the criminal justice instinct in prisons does actually, you know, feed. It, it, it gets to our, 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 our retribution instinct. That's part of what it feeds. Um, there's, and the question is, you know, is that enough and what does that really cost us and what does that really do? I think when we talk about what we're seeing as the modern-day slavery, the new Jim Crow, the fact that you have this dumbed-down education that's designed to produce people that don't think, people that are good workers, people that are really enslaved mentally, and, of course, that means good prison, mm-hmm. or right for prison, I think what you're talking about is really looking at prisons as also part of the minor's canary. You know, that, that old saying that, you know, look at how you treat your most disenfranchised people. And that is right. a mm-hmm. really good sense of where your society is going. So it's more than just, well, it's, it's looking at how they're being treated. It's looking at how this thing is evolving because if this is how we're treating the most disenfranchised people and the, and the number of that group is growing, the population is growing so fast, you, will, you are likely to end up being a part of it. That says something about where your society is going. If the benefits are disappearing and the safety net's disappearing and the middle class mm-hmm. is disappearing and the prison population is growing and it looks bad and it's inhumane, that should be the alarm bell, that there's, there's something really wrong with the core right. of our society. And that it's go- not is it or will it affect you, it's really so when is it going to when, affect you. Well, yeah. When will it touch you? Because that means that it is going to touch you if it's growing at the rate that it's growing and if the middle class is decreasing at the rate that it's decreasing. You can't have two of these forces going in the opposite direction and regular people not get hit. It, right. You really have to say Absolutely. to them, you have to say to them, you need to understand this and look at this and pay attention to this and start to get active in it because it's really not an if, it's a when with the mm-hmm. way that things are going. It's a when, and I think if you can reframe it that way, then you're going to start to see participation and action but the re- the reframing of the conversation has to happen, and not just the awareness. You have to change the, the the how you see it and how you feel about it. Because as soon as I hear the the p word, and I you know people are going to talk to me about crime, and I'm going to think about people who've done bad things because that's the way that it's been um, it's been shaped that way. That's the way the conversation's right. been molded, and you have to change right. how the conversation's been molded. Right, and not, and not by not that this person was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He 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 can't afford an attorney, so now he's going to get whatever. I mean, you know how many people that I know that have been wrongfully accused, and the best they got was the attorney they was they were they were given told them, look, why don't you cop to this, and then we'll you know you do you'll do six months to a year, and then you know blah blah blah. And you know, in your mind, you're like I'm not doing, I'm not doing six days, damn six months to a year. I didn't do anything, you know. <laughs> so I mean, it's so easy for people, and it's amazing that for some of these guys that you know are, are, are I guess, public defenders that come to these these guys, they they say it like it's this, like they talking about the time of day, you know. We give you still do six months to a year. You'll do thirteen months, really. For something I didn't do, why should I even contemplate doing something like that? But they say it like it's water off the lips, you know? Right. Like it's just rolling off it the tongue. You know, it's, it's insane. Why don't you do six? Why don't you do six months? Let's do it together. Exactly. What you tell me? When it doesn't affect the person quite naturally, that's the first right. thought that comes to mind. Right. But let me right. ask and you guys this, um, and I don't mean to interject, brother, but I just want to say this. Okay. Um, actually, today. 
I heard a story um, on CNN, believe it or not, and again, I agree with the media. The media puts a whole bunch of things out there, and people take it and run with it. But let me throw this at all of you guys, okay? You had uh, two teenagers that were bored, so they decided to shoot and kill an individual because they had nothing else to do. Wow. Wow. And, and it, it uh. mind boggled me because we had a conversation about this not too long ago as far as um, some of our upbringing, as far as us being mature and some of the things that we used to do as children compared right. to what social media has going on today. And you look at some of the um, electronics out here, such as cell phones, um, iPads, right. iPods, things that particular nature. So right. let me ask you guys this. Three um, teenagers decided that, hey, I will end a life because I'm bored. Right. I, I, can I, I'd like to start with that one, if I may, Rob. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, <clears throat> compassion amongst uh, the younger generation, uh, regard for life, actually respect for uh, the next person, the person standing next to you, um, you know, I still say thank you, excuse me, when I run into people or I accidentally do something. Uh, actually, I still hold the door, and I have young girls don't even say thank you to me uh, to the point where I, I actually want to start slamming the doors in people's faces, but that's not me, you know. Um, but there is a – somehow or another, we've, we've lost our youth when it comes to respect, and that's from male and female. Again, like I said, I hold doors for young ladies. They don't say a damn thing to me. Um, you know, back when we were growing up, you know, I, this, this this is how devious we got, and I, I think DS will remember this, and maybe maybe, uh, maybe you might remember this, uh, Rob. No, we used to do this. The worst we did when we were growing up. This might embarrass some of us. But we used to go down to the school during the summertime mm-hmm. and throw rocks through the windows. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. now that wasn't cool. But that was the worst it got. We'd pick up these rocks. Ah, you know, we were like, what, eight, nine, ten years old? We're throwing rocks. You know, and then we run. You know, we'd ring somebody's doorbell and we'd run away. You know, oh, I'd ring somebody's doorbell. You know, that was, we, we, we thought that was a thrill doing that. You know, now kids are just walking up on people and shooting them. You know, it, it, we, we've lost the sensitivity. Uh, our, our children have lost the sensitivity. And. I'm not an expert, but I want to say this. When you don't go outside and play with other kids, and you're behind the TV set, you're behind the computer, and you're, and you're making cyber threats, and you're a cyber bully, there's no human contact, then you lose, okay, and I'm not a psychiatrist, but then to me you lose that sense of dealing with people on a day-to-day basis, real feelings, okay? Kids don't even, I mean, you know what? I'm, I'm not for violence, but kids don't even have fist fights anymore. You know, you, you, you go outside, oh, you have a fist fight, uh-huh. you get punched in the mouth, your lips get bloody, and then the next day you're friends again. The next day you're friends again. Right. You, know, you know, that doesn't happen problem. anymore. But this was a part of human contact. Habib. Uh, yes. This this is uh, Michelle's uh, husband. I just yes, wanted to chime please. in I've on that. I've been quiet part. all night. No, go ahead and get in there. Yeah, brother. Go ahead. Yeah, get in I, just, I just wanted to chime in on that part. Um, first, I just want to establish. I, I just did the the last twelve years in prison, so my perspective okay. probably going to be a, a lot different from 
everybody in the panel. Um, okay. okay. But, we, but we, walk, we welcome it. <laughs> and yeah, I greatly exactly. appreciate it. So what I want to share with you, I want to share with you is this. Um, Being incarcerated for that long period of time, I went in when I was 25. I got out when I was 38 going on 39. Um, Wow. And and in in that, um, as I continue to, you know, get older in there, I started to see a lot more younger people coming in. Uh, Initially, when you first uh, started your career, Broadcast. You had gave out some figures about um, incarceration throughout the United States, right. and <clears throat> since then, you, you guys kind of been going back and forth with different statistics about uh, uh, minorities and so on and so forth. What's interesting is now is you know it kind of changed a little bit as far as now you kind of focusing in on the youth. And what's interesting, when you go back to your initial statistic about incarceration, that's a whole lot of fathers. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. And now yes. It, it, it's vital to understand that because you will miss the fact that these young women, young men, are, are missing those things. They're missing fathers. Yes. They're missing mothers. Yes. So... Their norm is not like your norm. Their norm is not, so they don't, they have created a new norm. And, you know, through a lot of our music, uh, last week you talked, you had some things about hip-hop and so on and so forth. And through our music, it, it teaches us, you, you, you got to get your, you got to get your money. Right. You got to get yours, and it don't matter who you cross or how you go about doing it. Uh, right. Respect. The, the the norm ain't respect no more, so you're not respecting your elders no more. Um, and then you got a lot of these kids who have been physically, sexually abused. All of these things are happening in the homes because the homes are have been um, disorganized. Uh, the father's not in play no more. The, the mom and the daughter, or the mom and the son, they age wise, they're not too far apart no more. Right. Um, so, right. So. So so now you got young people who um got a lot of traumas that have never been addressed. Um and so, you know, you're gonna see them act in a way that um I'm just I'm bored. M- my daughter says it all the time. She's bored. So I can see somebody getting up now, though it <clears throat> though it may um don't make no sense to none of us, but I can see somebody getting up grabbing a pistol. This is what we're doing today. Wow. Um, yeah. And I'm and, and and that's not okay, but it's because we have created they have created there is a new norm. What what mm. what was once acceptable is what I remember I remember Run DMC said not bad meaning bad but bad meaning good. So right. what's bad the bad stuff is it, it has turned to good now. We, we you know it's slick now to go shoot somebody. That that used to never was okay, but now the community, you 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 know, they put little teardrops on their eyes. I I killed a few people. That that yeah. you know, let them know wow. how serious you is about doing what you do now. Wow, you you're right, brother. Wow. I mean, so I guess me breaking windows breaking windows with rocks is I'm probably a saint. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Right. We, we, right. We, 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 they, we were kind of square. That's square now. Let me let me get to this call. I got a caller from the one two 
1231. You are live. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Um, Debbie Williams from Nashville, Tennessee. How are you again, hey, Debbie? Debbie? How's everything? Hey, Debbie. I'm good. How are you doing, Debbie? I'm doing good. What's going on, Cosmo? Welcome I'm to the good. conversation, Debbie. You got yeah, this is so ahead. important. I, wanted, I didn't want to miss this one. <clears throat> I didn't want to miss this one. This was like I did some research online um, about the statistics and support. Okay. I, I think I just lost her. Okay. Uh, okay. When she comes back, I'll, I'll bring it back in. I think I just lost her. Okay. All right. Okay. But before she jumps back in, I want to chime on what this young man was saying about, you know, the fathers and the lack thereof. Um, yes. I, 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 tot- I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I got into a, a almost a verbal altercation with this gentleman just the other day. Um Right here in my neighborhood, I live in a little rural area, you know, nothing like what I what I grew up in. But uh, there's just three little boys on the corner, and, you know, one thing led to another, and they were outright fighting. And, mm. you know, uh, the man in me, I stood back and, and I watched it, you know, as, as Habib stated, you know, there's no more fighting. So it kind of amused me to see these little boys fighting until mm. one little boy peels off around the corner and comes back with a stick. Wow. Now he wasn't—he wasn't the one getting beat up. He wasn't even the one involved in the fight. He just wanted some action. Mm. So I went across—I went across the street and I took the stick from the little boy and, you know, kind of, kind of collared him, maybe a little bit harder than I should have. Um, <laughs> I say—I say that with my 2013 boys, uh, back when we were growing up in Pomonock. Yeah, no, 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 no. Back when no. we were growing up in Pomonock, you know, there was a thing, right? It, it takes—it takes a village to raise a child. And I expected right. to get grabbed up. I expected to get grabbed up by a grown man or a grown woman or, or something of that sort. Right. So I'm talking to this brother, and he's like, "You should have minded your business." Blah blah blah. I said, "Well, you know what? Maybe I should have." Well, why don't you tell me which one of these little boys is your son? None of them. Wow. I said, "So, so you're just going to stand here?" And I, and I felt kind of conflicted because I was watching it as well. But I said, so you're just going to stand there and watch this little boy wail on this other little boy with a stick? And he's like, I was minding my business. And I'm like, wow. Right. Exactly. The sadness. Where are the wow. men in the community? You know, where right. are the men see, in the community? They're walking we'll around their pants off their ass. Excuse my language. That's where right. they're at. Right. But, no, but you're right. You're right. Right. But I have one, two, three, one back. I have Debbie back. Let me bring her back in, guys. I got Debbie back. Okay. Debbie, welcome back. Sorry, buddy. I guess we lost you. Yeah, my phone kind of died out. But, you know, I just thought this is such an important subject, you know. Um, and it was one I didn't want to miss, and I definitely wanted to hear everybody's thoughts and opinions on this because, you know, when I just did a little bit of reading on the subject, I was shocked about, you know, what's, you know, really going on. <laughs> right. Yeah, no well, we we glad to have you. Okay. We're glad to have you. And right. uh, you know, um you you're welcome to chime in whenever you like. Um right. I going I, back to uh, I don't know what Michelle Michelle's husband's name is, but uh, it's, it's going, Aaron. It's Aaron. 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 Yes. Aaron. Going back to what Aaron said about the fathers is uh yes. this is one of the problems even with the the issues that you all are talking about with the the fighting in the streets kind of thing, is that that uh, the children aren't being parented 
Uh, and unfortunately, when a parent goes to prison, the people that are left behind to care for that child are very often so overwhelmed themselves and so distraught and traumatized themselves that they don't right. have the emotional stamina to really parent the child as effectively as they need to. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and that's one of the, the major problems of uh, of incarceration is the lack of parental control at home. It's right. huge. Let me just right. give you a little history. Uh, my husband and I have been together, in fact, 19 years just the other day. Wow, congratulations. congratulations. 19 years. We've been married for almost 13. We got married while he was in prison. Um, and something, and I stuck through his 12 year incarceration with him. And strong woman. I'll exactly. Hats off to you. Thank you. He's he's a good man. And I'll I'll tell you. I used to tell him. I felt like each, and we have three kids: two boys and a girl. And two of the boys are adults now, and then we have a 14-year-old daughter. And I would tell him, you know, each year that you've been gone, I feel like I'm dying a little bit more each year that goes by. And each year that goes by, I felt like my kids were getting more and more out of control because, like you said, Carolyn, my emotional stamina, Mm -hmm. it was so overwhelming trying to raise two boys and a girl um, with their father in in prison, uh, Mm -hmm. it really takes a lot out of the woman. And, you know, I guess I am strong. You have to care for the house and you care for him while he's in prison. Right. It's a whole huge circle of taking care of everyone and I'm continually being... Brought down, I guess you could say. Wow. Um, or just like you know, ran, I ran out of steam. I ran out of steam, mm-hmm. and um, the impact is just—it's humongous. The impact that a woman or potentially a man that goes through this and having children—you know—it really does take a lot out of you, and it really does affect the kids. Um, right now, in fact, all three of my kids have been in trouble with the law. And um, I believe if he had never left, none of that would ever have happened. Even our 14-year-old daughter um, is, is going through court right now for two disorderly conducts. Um... So not having that parent in the home and leaving one parent to go to work, pay all the bills, cook dinner, help with homework, get all the school stuff accomplished, do the lo- you know what I mean? It's just a right. whole lot for it's one parent. Overwhelming. Well, and I think the other thing, Michelle, is is that many uh, prison families are unaware that there is support out there. And, I was uh, totally unaware. See, I, and, in fact, and, uh, I had people that was, saying, "You're stupid. Why would you wait but, on him? You know that's well, not that. years." <laughs> Instead that's of having business. support, I had people downplaying my marriage 
to someone wow. that, you know, that so you I have believe to battle in that and love. Mm-hmm. But there is There's support out there, and, and if people are listening and, and people who have, are going through this now or, or going through it in the future, they need to know that there is support today. There are support groups right there. In fact, in, you're in Wisconsin, and I know of uh, people from Wisconsin. We have a what's co- it's called the Prisoners Fam- Family Conference, and people literally come from across the country to our conferences uh, that have support groups in different communities around the uh, around the country. There are uh, programs even in community centers and in churches and all over that have recognized now that the struggle that the prison family goes through when wow. uh, when a loved one is incarcerated. And it's not always the mother and the wife. Uh, very often these children are left with their grandparents or aunts and uncles yeah. who have other burdens. And uh, I don't know how many grandparents have told me this is not how I expected to spend my golden years. raising five grandchildren, you know, uh, and it's just too overwhelming for them. And so they need to hook up with other people that are going through similar circumstances and support one another. Uh, That's a lot of of what we talk about at the conference is how can we support these children most effectively? How can we help the caregivers most effectively so that people – so these kids aren't going to prison and they're not getting in trouble uh, right. There's a lot of programs out there now, so I encourage people to to look in their communities. Uh, we have some resources on the website, uh, and we'll have some more. As a matter of fact, we just finished a resource book that we'll be putting together and putting on the Prisoners Family Conference website uh, of uh, of groups like this in different that are, that can support you during this kind of struggle. Uh, we'll be putting it on the Prisoners Family Conference website. So uh, I encourage people to look at that when uh, what's in their community, you know, what's available in their communities. That, that's good information, uh, uh, Carolyn, and I, I'd like you to, towards the end of the show, please uh, put that information out there. Um, I just want to ask a quick question to Michelle um, and to her husband. Uh, you mentioned that now you, your children have had brushes with the law. Uh, Aaron what what do you say to your kids having having done a twelve year bid what do you tell your kids that, that as they're having these brushes with the law i mean you know do you, i'm quite sure you're getting there behind you know but right, what do right. you what what type of what do you say to them hey look you know knock i mean what do you say to them and what type of type of well, guidance I do mean, you give them having been there and done that yourself well, well, what I what I try to do is when I'm when I'm dealing with my kids, I, I let them know that I mean this ain't no game. Uh, a lot of times things have been fantasized, and you know you see it on TV, but you really don't know, and you you're wondering, and all those different things. And I and I allow them to know. Listen, um, it's it's very you know that stuff is TV. You know, right. you know, you don't know, you don't, you don't know. You give up your freedom. Um, you susceptible to anything. Um, and death is not far fetched. Um, mm-hmm. It can happen. It has happened. Um, you got men that have been in prison and they wind up dead. You don't know why they did. Um, wow. Whether it be through another inmate, whether it be through an officer, um, both are right. very real. Um, right. So I, I I share with them the raw and unadulterated facts and truth about what I've seen, 
what I've lived. Um, and I actually, you know, I try to do it on a much larger scale. I try to go to um, schools and, you know, I just hear my story about being incarcerated and what it's like. Um, I'm a strong believer in um, taking responsibility um, mm-hmm. and being held accountable. I don't like to get okay. on no pity pot as far as, you know, if you do something wrong, you need to be held accountable. But okay. my, 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 my main focus is when I assess something, I look at what is the objective and what is the intent. If the objective is to correct a behavior, then we shouldn't have recidivism like we do. But the truth right. is, I mean, it's, the objective is not to correct the behavior um, because in prison you've got all of these different resources. People get out of prison, they have no resources. They don't have. And I show, I show my boys, I let them see, look at this brother. He's been looking for a job. He can't get a job. He can't get housing. Is this the kind right. of life you want to live? This how you want to yeah. live? Yeah. You know, because it, it, it ain't sweet. So right. these are the things that I try to share with them and let them see. Once you get that X on your back, your whole life changes as you know it. That's right. That's right. And it's almost like, brother, I'm sorry. Ahead, I just want to say this real quick. It's almost like you do a bid twice. You you did. Let's say you did 12, you did 15. You come out and you're almost doing 15 more if you can't find a job. If you can't get housing, you're still, you're still doing a bid. So well, it's not, well, you know, well, well, let me just share this with you. What's amazing uh-huh. is here, here in the state of Wisconsin, we spend uh, 1.3 billion on incarceration, and it's and and it's going higher. But what's so interesting is you can go to these prisons, and you'll see they might have woodworking. You know, they have a lot of vocational stuff. But what's right. so interesting, they spend 1.3 billion on building prisons. But they have they spend maybe one million dollars on reentry on resources in the community. Did you know that eighty five percent of people who go to prison will get back out? Now, if they don't have any resources, what what, what do you assume they're gonna do? They don't have any. Right. I don't I don't have a place to lay my head. I ain't got nowhere to right. get no food. Right. And what's so, and, and it's interesting because. People don't want to take this serious until it's at their front doorstep. Now I want right. to be serious, but it didn't even have to be that way. If we if we understand that eighty five percent of people that go to prison will get back out, they're going to come to your community, my community. Why not provide them with the resources they need so they can successfully be out of in the community, so you ain't got to worry about. I mean, crime gonna be, it's gonna happen, but it will be right. less likely when you have the resources you need. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Well, and I right. think it's a part of the the plan is uh, to keep the recidivism rates high, so that the prisons can grow. So those people that are in power are the ones that set this up. They just passed a law. Well, first of all, substance abusers or drug addicts can't get food stamps, so you don't even get food when you get out of prison, let alone housing. Uh, and they just—they've uh, just passed a, a new law in the, this is in the United States uh, legislature that that ex-offenders cannot even get a loan for a house. That means if they have the money to buy a house, 
they can't even get a loan from a bank to purchase a wow. house. So where wow. are they supposed to live? Wow. That's right. Uh, underneath the right. overpass, apparently. Well, and they you know, do. And Florida has had a horrible yeah. problem with that. That's uh, right. I read that that's people live in that. fields. Right. Go right. ahead. Um, but I, what I want to do now, Mrs. Sparza, is I actually want to give the floor to you, and I want I want our our listeners to hear uh, what it is you do and and how you're involved and and, and things like that. Um, this is uh, Helen Esparza, everyone. She uh, has a book out, The Unvarnished Truth, about the prison family journey. Uh, you can catch that. You can get that at Amazon and various places. Um, mm-hmm. Carolyn, you have the floor. Please tell us uh, about what you, what it is you do and about your book. Okay. Um, well, and when I tell you about the book, let me tell you that I co-wrote it with with an inmate. His name is Philip Yao. Uh, he's a current Texas prisoner, and I have known him since he was 15 years old. He's 36 now, and wow. uh, still in prison. We have a law that transfers kids from the juvenile system into the adult system, and so they're virtually raised by the prison, uh, and and uh, he has done extremely well, and uh, a very bright, very talented young man, and so we decided to write this book because of the disenfranch- disenfranchisement of the prison family. Uh, as I've worked with prison families, or prisoners actually, over the years, I realized that uh, that nothing is done for the family, and the family typically withdraws and isolates from the mainstream community, and that has always been a, a really grave concern for me, is that these people are suffering in silence and uh, and withdrawing from our mainstream community. Talented, bright people that could offer so much to our communities, as are many prisoners who should be out here offering our society something as opposed to being locked up and, and caged. Uh, so uh, we started a program for children and families of prisoners, and out of that grew the Prisoners Family Conference, which is, is more what I focus on now because it's a national effort to uh, to bring families together, but not just family members of prisoners, those who serve them through social yeah. services, through uh, ministries uh, in whatever way that uh, that people are reaching out. There are school teachers who have no concept that they have prison uh, children and prisoners in their classrooms. When we wow. started our program, we went to all the school districts in our community, thinking that's where you find children. And uh, invariably, we have five school districts, pretty large school districts in our community. And every single one of them said, "We do not have children of prisoners in our." in our schools, having no concept because they never asked the question, why were these kids acting out? Uh, right. and, and, uh, and that is a question that people need to ask. Why are children acting out? There's always a reason behind the behavior. Uh, but we did find the children, and now the, the schools in our community do refer kids regularly and because one in seven children has a parent either in prison, on probation, or pro- parole. Wow. In our country, not in our community, wow. but in in our country, one in seven children in a classroom. So on the, wow. I mean, it, it's just amazing the number of people that are affected by this. Uh, so we started the Prisoners Family Conference to develop an awareness of the prison family as a whole, and of course, the prisoner is a member of that family. 
And that was something that uh, it's been kind of interesting as we've gone from town to town, city to city, uh, and, and we have the uh, conference in hotels. We had a very interesting experience in Orlando, Florida, with this conference because they wanted us to change the name of the conference. They didn't want the word prisoner involved in it. Uh, <laughs> wow. They, said, they wow. asked us what we wanted to call the conference. Uh, of course, we continue to call it the Prisoner's Family Conference because that's one way of desensitizing people. Uh, right. When we go into the, the hotels and and we don't rip them up and tear them up and things are, right. are just fine, and we've had wonderful experiences all over the country, um, people are impressed with that because we're letting people know that prisoners and their families are people. And that's right. the first thing that people need to know. So... Uh, and uh, sort of as an extension of the conference, uh, we now have an online program which is about to be relaunched because as we were putting together this website, the book evolved, uh, The Unvarnished Truth About the Prison Family Journey. Uh, and Philip and I decided that people need to know the truth. We have, we have soft-pedaled what happens to prison uh, the prison families. We've ignored the prisoner. We've re- ignored the returning prisoner, uh, and it's made matters worse. We have to speak out, and we have to speak out boldly about uh, how we're destroying this country by ignoring what the real problems are. Uh, so I'm, as we're starting this, uh, this website so that prison families could uh, have a resource that would have a comprehensive information on it, uh, the book evolved, uh, and it really is a guidebook for families who have a loved one who's incarcerated. And it starts with the arrest uh, and how that traumatizes the whole family. Because prison families live very much with the same trauma as a military family. Yes, I live in I'm a military that, community. I'm say that. Yep. Yeah. I live in a military community and taught a parenting class, well, not a parenting class, a family uh, family class at one of the colleges here, and these three gentlemen from the military were standing up there telling about the uniqueness of the of the military family, and I'm sitting in the back of the room listening and saying, "This is the prison family. They, you know, the mission may not be as noble as to go to prison, but the right. trauma is the same, right. and we need to recognize that we're traumatizing people." Prisoners come out of prison traumatized. The family has been traumatized. Uh, The children are traumatized. And we we have to treat that trauma uh, and and, uh, encourage these families and and, uh, help them to heal when they reunite. And uh, and so some of the uh, information in the book, of course, talks about uh, the best ways to deal and cope with and to really build a stronger relationship while a person is incarcerated. And, of course, some of that, Michelle, is, is finding these resources in the community, and we do talk about some of the resources that are available to uh, prison families to support them while while some a loved one's in prison. Because you need extra support because you've, you've been traumatized, you're going through grief at the loss right. of a loved one. Absolutely. And, uh, and so... Uh, so people need support. They don't need to be isolated and shunned by society. And so we're trying to encourage society through the conference, actually, uh, to to reach out and support prison families and not isolate them any more than they already isolate themselves. 
Right. So kind of in a nutshell, that's what I do. I do the prison prisoners' family conference, and now uh, I'm, I am going around and doing workshops based on the book uh, throughout the, the the country. And I may be up in Wisconsin next spring, as a matter of fact. So wow. I've had an invitation to come up there, so I might get to meet uh, Michelle and Aaron in person. That'll be fun. Well, well, I, I want to say, uh, Mrs. Sparza, what you do is, is is extremely noble, and my hat goes off to you, uh, and also my hat goes off to both uh, Aaron and and his wife Michelle for for being together through all of this stuff. I mean, it's it's uh, it is tremendous, and, and you know, as as being a, a combat vet myself, I uh, I have to say that uh, yeah, the, the the journeys sound similar. Uh, when you talk about families and being torn away uh, and stuff like that, it, it is mm-hmm. a dramatic experience. And uh, my hat goes off to all of you guys here on the panel. Um, it, it's funny because I actually I, I, I have to play, I have to do this. I have to play devil's advocate for a minute because I was talking to a friend and I was trying to get them and I was telling them about the show coming up. And I had actually was talk, telling them about what you do, Mrs. Sparza, and you know mm-hmm. as far as of. As far as uh, uh, family of prison members that have rights to see their their, their loved one in prison, you know, mm-hmm. I know you mentioned somebody who was uh, dying of an illness and yes. they couldn't see they couldn't see their loved one. They wouldn't allow them. In they wouldn't allow them. Yes. You know, and, and I had this person now, and, and again, and this is going back to what Hadaria said. You know, he's not talking about people in prison. People automatically get this uh, this force field up, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> And, uh, and and it's true because I, I you know me coming from the I've seen some things and I know for a surety everybody that goes to prison may not necessarily belong there and I and I know this for a fact because I've known some people that have been wrongfully accused and, they, and like I said earlier in the show they couldn't afford an attorney mm-hmm. and they were offered all kinds of other shenanigans and and it went downhill from there and another thing too I want to I want to put out there before I continue is that. A lot of times, these guys go to prison. They weren't they weren't criminals when they went there, but they damn sure are when they get out. If you know, if you get oh, my yeah. meaning, they they learned their craft when they were there. They weren't criminals when they got locked up, but in order right. to survive, they became what they had to be. But um, this this friend said to me, "Well, you know, what about the uh, in regards to what you told me about the person they couldn't see their loved one while they were dying?" I said, "What about people who?" That their, their family members were killed. They can't see their family members anymore either. You know. So what do you what do you say to a person who says, well, why are you concerned about whether or not a prisoner's family can see them, if on the victim side they can't see their loved one who may have been killed, maybe or you know, whatever the case may be. I mean, how how do you mm-hmm. address that? Has anybody ever come to you and said, why are you so concerned about yes. prisoners' rights? Of course, what do you say to somebody like that? this is not a popular cause, as you can as you can imagine, and I think you've already answered that question. Is because if we don't treat prisoners humanely, and if we do not provide the correct uh, kind of treatment and intervention for them and their families, we're going to create more victims. Is that what we want? Do we want people coming right. out of prison worse than they were than when they went in there? And, and so I see it as uh, a preventative measure. I care about victims, and uh, and I know people who have lost loved ones in uh, in murders and et cetera. And it's it's a horrible, horrible tragedy. 
but do we want more victims or do we want people to come out of prison better than that they went in? Isn't that the whole purpose of what we pay our taxes for? Is that right. We think we're sending the people to prison to become better, but the reason we're scared of them when they come out is because we know that we don't do that. Right and uh, and and that's where we need to be putting our money is in it, it doesn't cost that much more to provide treatment than it does to cause uh, cause the brutality and the inhumanity with which prisoners are treated and uh, and creating anger and, and viciousness and the manipulation to just get their needs met. The whole last chapter of our book is about what uh, what prison provides to fulfill the needs of a human being. And the bottom line of that is prison provides nothing to fulfill the human need. And right. uh, and the people need to feel, feel fulfilled in their lives, and there's no way to feel fulfilled in our prisons. So uh, so that's that's my answer to that, is I don't want more victims. I want us to, to have people coming out of prison as productive as what they're supposed to be, productive citizens. Isn't that correct? Right. That's, well, that's yes, we rehabilitation. That's what it's supposed to be. It was supposed to be about rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Um, but but, you know, but it's it's kind not, of, that's, get, not, get, that's not always the case, though. Um, right. No, it's and never I, the case. Uh, well, I think that's right. Thing. I think it's retribution is what people really are not saying, but it is. Right. That's right. right. That's exactly right. 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 I uh, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of, it, uh, how do you saying something? <laughs> Uh, I was, no, I would yeah. also just like to add, you know. Oh, that was I know, no, Okay, I'm sorry. You sound like my niece for a bit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, you, Michelle. Yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say that. I know, not, I, I know it's not much, but you know, I heard somebody say this one time, and it really touched me that uh, somebody's crime does not define who they are as a person. Exactly. And exactly. everybody is a person with feelings and needs and wants and cares and, you know. So when I heard that, that really touched me because I never thought of it that way. I've always had a passion for people that have been in prison or, you know, in trouble or whatever. But when I heard that, that just made so much sense to me that, their crime does not define them as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Michelle, can, can I, can I, can I, can I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just want to, I just want to say something with that. You're absolutely right because you know what? I remember there was a case as as a kid. Um, I was maybe about six or seven. And this case came out, and there was a lady. I forget her name. So many years ago in the Midwest, who uh, uh, her son who was my age, six, seven, was molested over a period of time. And the mother mm-hmm. uh, caught the molester and killed him. She she shot him, mm-hmm. she blew his head off with a three fifty seven. That uh-huh. mother fits exactly what you're saying, uh, Michelle. Now, here's a lady who, her son, you know, was was, was attacked, you know, a, a, little, right. a little boy. And she mm-hmm. did what she felt she had to do as a parent. Does that make her a career damn criminal or somebody that should be ostracized by society? Right. Hell no. Hell no. 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 You understand what I'm saying? Exactly. They, they, I mean, they wanted exactly. to give her some time for that. You know? So, but I mean, see, there you have it. But see, that, that's the exact 
people they 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 make you label yourself as if you are just wrong. Aaron. Um. Yeah. Can you guys hear him? Okay. He was a little, was a little crackly at first. Breaking in and out. Yeah, I can't okay. hear you very well, Aaron. Okay. Well, can you hear me a little better now? I hear yeah, you now. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Well, what's interesting is people um they they they, they actually in prison they they definitely demonize you as a person. Um and when you come out, you, th- their objective, let me just say in the state of Wisconsin, they um have this tendency where they um you get to saying, I am an alcoholic, I am a sex offender, I am a murderer. This is, and that's not who you are. That might be what you've done, mm-hmm. but that's not who you are. And it, it, it's it's so interesting to me because the, the, some in some cases when you're in prison here in Wisconsin, if you don't say that I am a sex offender, they say then that you are not. Uh, accepting responsibility for your crime. You right. can't leave prison. And you literally can't wow. leave prison. Wow. Oh, wow. and that just goes, like, so my husband's um, offense is is of that nature. And if I don't say that as well, if I don't say that he is a sex offender, they will not allow us to have any contact with one another. Wow. So I that, myself that's crazy. cannot. That's deep. Yeah, I mean, I myself cannot have my own thoughts or opinions. And I did a lot of research on his case, and we've talked about people being falsely accused. <clears throat> I said that at one point to one of his agents, and. Who? <laughs> They went ballistic on me. Wow. God I mean, they you went ballistic. Issues, right? <clears throat> yeah. I'm sorry? God forbid you should stand up for yourself, you know. Or you're right. Your I'm not family. allowed to think, Ain't that have something? my own thoughts. If I don't say he is a convicted sex offender, we are not allowed to have any contact. And, and, and that's, I, that's I just piggyback, if I could piggyback off of that, what's so interesting is I had an opportunity to actually sit down uh, with, with a judge, and I posed a question. Uh, her name was Judge O'Brien, and I asked her a question. I said, "In I, I went to trial and lost in trial, but what's interesting, I posed this question. I said, is the objective to find the truth when you when, when a person goes to trial? And she said, nope. the, she said the objective is, is, is not to find the truth. It's Ain't whoever gives the better... It's whoever gives the better argument. Uh-huh. Wow. And that's so, true. Wow. My and, and God, so my God. That reality. So, it, so, so when you talk about people being falsely accused, and when you talk about if you're in a state of poverty, then th- those are the people, despite, they could be very much innocent, but we need a scapegoat. We need a conviction. Right. And Somebody, person, exactly. And we're going to use this individual. Part of the business of incarceration is that they need a conviction. And that goes to the plea bargaining, to the the rest of judgment. All of that is so that they get convictions and that they grow the prison system. 
that mm-hmm. her mass incarceration comes from. I'm sitting here. And when you. And when you. I'm sitting here with disbelief. <laughs> when you move, when you really move, like all of this stuff out of the way, it's gonna boil down to strictly dollars and cents. Right. Exactly. Everything is economic. Right. It's, it's, and it's uh, and, and we don't have the money to fight that. And uh, that somebody told a, me the other day that they're spending twenty-five million dollars on lobbying for privatization of prisons. Twenty-five oh, yeah. million dollars. The the prisons, the private prisons, are paying that kind of money to lobbyists to have more private prisons. Have more, and a private yeah. prison requires wow. people in it. Ninety percent full beds for the next twenty years is what yeah. is required right. for private That's prisons. Right. Because yeah. they can cut the they can cut the deficit. And speaking of that, now I'm I'm. I did. My crime was in uh, Wisconsin, but I was also in private prison. They were shipping oh. people from Wisconsin to Minnesota, to Texas, to uh, Mississippi, uh-huh. um, and so I spent time. The, the, the private prison that you're talking about is called CCA. It's a uh, corporation. Correction portion, a corporation of America. Of yeah. America. That's right. Uh-huh. So, so I, 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 I spent wow. from 2002 to 2005 in their prison system, um, and it's strictly, it's strictly about money. Yes. And they're to, and 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 what governs Wisconsin right now are state prisons, but the deficit is so high. CCA said we can come in right now. They're spending 1.3 billion. CC, CCA said we'll we will come in. And we will cut the deficit to six hundred and sixty nine million. And that's what they're trying to do, privatize it. They're Why? trying to it, privatize the prisons in Wisconsin. That's right. Well, it's they're horrifying. gonna make more money. Be, well, because they're gonna grow. I mean it, it right. will get bigger because they have you you're you're in business and your business has to grow for you to make an income and for you to make a profit. And so they feed you less, the the medical care will get even worse than it already is inside the prison, uh, you know, and and, uh, and we're the taxpayers paying for that. They are going to be charging prisoners uh, in other states. I don't know how they do in Wisconsin, but in other states, they're charging prisoners by the day. Some mother told me the other day well, that uh, her son already had, a like, almost $100,000 that he owes when he gets out of prison for, for so his room and board. they're charging inmates? Yes, they're charging inmates. They have to buy their bedding. Working, they have to buy their mattress. They're charging me four hundred and four hundred and thirty dollars for housing. Wow! wow. Like you in a college, like like you in a college dorm. Wow. Right. Well, it I, is. It's I, outrageous. I, I, and then it they is outrageous. Crud, and and people are sick from the food that they give them because they don't give them anything nutritious. So they've got right. medical problems when they come out of prison. Not to wow. mention mental problems when they come out. So wow. I mean, it's just a vicious cycle to it, make money, and that's right. what mass incarceration is all about. Exactly, it's making and, and money. Like I said, and like I said earlier, everything is relative, and I always say this. I say this on my post on Facebook, and because it is, everything is relative. Um, without education, without programs to keep kids. Uh, from being quote unquote bored, if you will, and and without positive family reinforcement, you're gonna have uh, 
prison uh, prison population swoon and grow. Okay, <laughs> and the powers that be know this. As we stated in the earlier in the show, oh, yeah. we know this for a fact. This is not an accident that they base prison populations off of fourth grade, third grade uh, reading scores. Okay, this is what happens. Okay, so um, they know what's going on and they plan for it appropriately, and there's mm-hmm. no more prisons. Um, what I what I want to say is, is this, um, you know, and then going back to what uh, Aaron said, uh, it, it's it's amazing, you know, the judge told you that no, nah, it's not their job to uh, uh, <laughs> to find the truth, you know. Right. It's amazing. It, 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 you know what? It goes back to, and I, and I know I'm not trying to make light of this conversation, but there, there was a line in the movie. Uh, training day that Denzel Washington said. And he kept saying it throughout the movie, and I found it profound. And he kept saying that it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. Now, do you want to go to jail or do you want to go home? And that right there is, it, is, is in essence, is how uh-huh. the judicial system in the United States of America works. It is. Okay, and it's a double-edged sword because it can even... What it, you know, it can work for you or against you. And you know what? Most of the time, it depends on if you can afford a lawyer. So, you know, there you have it in essence, you know. And uh, it's a shame, but, you know, the the, the, the dissolving of a family is, is the cause of some of this. Uh, poor education is, is the cause of it. And you know what? Again, you know, people aren't worried until it affects them. But I'm going to tell you something, America. Um with our scores and reading and, and, math and arithmetic being the worst in the world, and the way we keep locking people up, <laughs> the last person that locks himself up may be uh, uh, law enforcement himself, because uh, it, it's getting that bad. We may be looking at a penal colony here. Another hundred years from now, really? everybody may be in jail, because ain't nobody learning nothing. Okay, exactly. and you're not being rehabilitated. You're not being taught anything in there to come out. You're not being hired when you come out because you, they won't hire you. You know, so you have to look at all this. All this, it's, it's all relative. You know, if this happens, it's cause and effect. If this happens, then that's going to happen. And they know it, and yet they're not doing anything about it. In America, we got to wake up. Okay, we got to educate ourselves, educate our, our families, and we have to demand. We 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 can't sit on our hands anymore, you know, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, myself and my friends wanted to do this show, we would have positive conversations and constructive uh, conversations, because, you know what, we can't sit on our hands anymore and bury our, bury our heads uh, in the sand like ostriches, can, you have can to Can I just something. add something to that? Yes, um, please do, Carol, because, please. Because I think, you know, what you're saying, you all have done this and, and, and put together a radio show and, and you're bringing awareness to people who are listening, uh, but there's another way that people can can help. We, we, we can complain and we can whine and carry on about this, but we need to do something. And so we yes. have put together what is called the End Mass Incarceration Movement, you just type in and mass incarceration on Facebook and like our page and we'll draw you in and get you busy having rallies. We want to take our demands to our legislators. We want to do something about this. 
not just sit around and talk about it, not to come, right. to whine and complain, but let us get up and do something. And the only people who can change the law are the people who make the law, unfortunately, and those mm-hmm. are our legislators. And we and have to, to make them us. listen. They right. absolutely they have us. to listen and, right. and like, hear like, us. Exactly. Like that old movie that, that came out, you know what, you, you want to go out to your, to, to your, to your window and, and open it up and scream you're as mad as hell yes. and you ain't going to take it no <laughs> yes. more. You, you have right. to do that because they're not going to take us seriously. You have to get mad. And you know what? I keep saying that. I, I, and often when I go to work, when I, you know, when my commuter, and I have a long commute to work, and a long commute back, I have a lot of time to think. And I say to myself, you know what? America's not mad enough yet. We're not mad enough. We're not fuming enough to, You're right. to, to want to make a change. And it's going to come. It's going to come to a point. I hope it's not too late. I hope it's not too late because right now they're peeing on our legs and they're telling us it's raining. Mm-hmm. We're just going for it, but when we but we have to get damn mad enough to want exactly. to take it there, to want to say no, no. Not only we're we gonna have a change, we demand, we demand the damn okay. change. It, and that's what we're doing. You know, we have to demand, demand it. We're not, we're to stop, you gotta stop asking. You gotta stop asking. Right. You gotta demand. And why like, no, and, no. Yeah. and hiding? We don't ask anymore. We demand You have it. to stand up and speak out and and not be afraid because we're there's exactly. a lot of us, and that exactly. we're here to support each other. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I just, I just, we're about to close. We got like about a minute and a half left here. I just want to pass it around to the panel. Any last thoughts before we get out of here, guys? I'm going to start off with Hadari. Any last thoughts on mass incarceration before we close it out tonight? Aaron, I'm with you on taking action. And um, I think, once again, one of the most important parts of taking action is we're going to have to really, um, we're going to have to win the the minds and hearts of people on this. And that means that we got to also. Reframe the conversation too. Okay. All right. Uh, Rob Hall, I got a couple of seconds here for you. What do you think, brother? Um, again, you know, it's just unfortunate. A lot of it is going to determine on um, a lot of choices that people make, and you know, it's unfortunate that people use like the walking home syndrome of why they use right. to make the choices that they make. Right. Right. Well, I, I got a few seconds left. I want to thank you, Miss Carolyn Esparza, for, for Esparza for coming here. Please, please come again. You're a friend of the show from now on. You're thank wonderful, you. wonderful presentation. Thank you so much for to Aaron and Michelle Billy Hicks. Uh, we're we're running out of time here, so I got to cut it short. But fantastic conversation as always, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope somebody got something. If one person got something out of this conversation, then we're doing something good. And I, with Absolutely. that, I'm going to say good night, everybody. Thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you. All right. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you.